All right, all right. Good morning. How are we doing today? We good? Happy Labor Day weekend. So as we're wrapping up our summer series today, our summer series in Nehemiah today is our last testimony uh, that is going to be coming up before a new launch. Um, and it's, to me, I don't know for you guys, but it's been a, a real big blessing for me just to be able to sit and hear just the stories. Um, and I know a lot that a lot of you that have already shared, it takes a lot of courage for you guys to come on up. Uh, but that courage that it took for you to come on up encourages the church. It encourages the spirit of the church. And it encourages us in terms of how we walk together as a church. And so I know that, and I, I know a lot of people have shared with me just how how the testimonies have touched the, how the testimonies have touched them, and how it spoke to them, and how they can relate, and that's that's the whole idea behind these testimonies. The book of Nehemiah in itself, it's really it's not just a Bible story. It's a testimony. It's a it's a narrative of history that points to a person, and that's what testimonies are about. Testimony is a narrative of our lives that points to somebody that person is god god uses testimonies and as we've heard all summer to show us who he is you see the bible is a book that reveals the character of god to us a lot of us sometimes we read the bible and we just see it as stories we see it as laws we see it as rules we see it as songs but sometimes we forget that this is actually history and all of these things all of these stories point something out and that points out god's character that's what the bible is about the bible is for us to know god more and it shows us his righteousness but also his mercy all of this exists this book exists so that we can meet the living god so that we get to know him so that we get to experience him Today I get to share the pulpit with Kim Tran, and she's going to come and share her story about how she came to know God. So Kim, why don't you come on up, and as Kim is coming up, uh, just let me pray. Father God, uh, we just thank you for this time. Lord, may you uh, just be glorified today. Lord, may your name be known, may your character be known, and Lord, may you speak through Kim and myself uh, to reveal more of your character. So Lord, as we come to you today, Lord, may you send your spirit uh, to come and speak to us individually and personally. So, Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kim. So, I just thank you for the people that have given testimonies before me. Um, it just kind of helped me how to do this. Um, okay, um, um, it's not always easy to um, give a testimony, but it was it's always so valuable. Um, many of the breakthroughs and the things that I learned about God um, came from testimonies from different sources that I learned, just from people I talked to, some sermons, and um, from just different sources. And um, it also helped me appreciate how um, God works in other people's lives as well as my own. Um, it helped, um, and I really hope that my story can help others have breakthrough and um, also see the ways um, God's goodness has changed my life and um, possibly yours as well. So um, I was born in Vietnam. 
I came to Canada when I was four years old. My childhood was not easy. Um, there were three of us and then four kids. Um, we were pretty poor, but thankfully, um, we always had the basic necessities. Um, my parents did not have an easy marriage. My dad really struggled with his temper and was uh, physically and uh, mentally abusive to us kids. Um, he was especially mentally abusive to my mom. I always wanted my mom to leave my dad so that um, we could just um, escape and be free from him. Um, it always upset me that she took um, his abuses. We all tried to stay out of his way and um, not disturb him, and that was just our coping skill. Um, there was a lot of unpredictability growing up. We moved to different places. Things were just never stable at home. Um, I did my own escaping by reading books and um, just always fantasizing and dreaming of a happier life and just planning how I could just make my life happy and, you know, just kind of live the right way that I could be, like, happy. So um, I constantly wish that I could die because um, just the misery would, so that the misery would end just because it just on and on. And, and especially I was, like, helpless to um, do anything about it. Um, my parents put us in Catholic school um, throughout elementary school, but um, we were told at home not to mention God. Um, it was basically for us to learn how to behave, and um, that was my exposure to religion. My parents had Buddhist backgrounds, but um, thankfully didn't, they didn't push it on us. Um, I tried my best to study and did well in school. Um, I got a job in high school and worked really hard to save money to escape poverty. I was always looking for love as well. Um, I experienced different relationships, but um, something always seemed wrong. The last relationship um, breakup really devastated me because um, it was the closest thing that I was looking for and it didn't work out. So um, I pretty much lost hope and just became really depressed because it seemed that no matter how hard I worked or tried, um, I couldn't achieve what I really wanted, which was just love and happiness. Like it didn't seem so hard. My younger sister, Than, um, recently became Christian. I saw her life changing in front of me. Um, she became more peaceful, happy, and loving than before. Um, she tried telling me about Jesus for a whole year, but I just wasn't interested. Um, church and religion did not seem interesting to me because I thought it was just a bunch of rules, and um, I also didn't want to be part of any um, religious conflicts about which one is right. Um, when I was really depressed one day, I hung out with her and her friend. Um, she suddenly told me that if I tried Christianity and it made me happy, then it would be worth it. But if it didn't help me be happy, then I could just drop it. Um, I have tried many things to be happy, so why not Christianity? I thought about it and it made sense. It's like, well, why? There's nothing to lose. So I could always. And I also saw um, changes in her life, so I thought, like, if she can do it, maybe I can do it too. So um, I went to church with her, and um, there I heard the pastor say that um, Jesus can help me if I accept him into my heart. I thought, I need help. Like, I can't do this anymore. This life is just too hard for me. Um, I was doing my best, but it just didn't seem to go anywhere. 
Um, so I said the prayer, not having a clue about what um, any of that meant. The next thing I knew, um, God changed my heart. All of a sudden, I loved worship music, which I didn't like at all. Um, going to church was no longer boring, but really interesting because I was learning so many things. My mind was constantly stimulated. I knew this change inside me was not because of me, but something supernatural. I started reading the Bible front to back so that I could understand what the pastor was saying better. This was 13 years ago. Um, so early on, God showed me that our relationship with him is the most important thing in our Christian walk. So I thought what it meant to have a relationship with him. I learned that God speaks to us and we can build a close relationship by spending time with him through all the Christian activities. We can also know him as we talk to him and rely on him. So I believe that God talks to me right away because I was having revelations from my readings. What I didn't understand, I would ask God, and in my daily life, the answers would come. It was as if I had a personal tutor explaining things I was wondering about. I knew it wasn't my thoughts because some of the answers were so brilliant and not within my knowledge. It was like my eyes were opening up to the truth and the whole world started to make sense. I spent a lot of time reading the Bible, going to church and extra classes, reading Christian books, um, listening to worship music, and watching and listening to various sermons. I was so happy to learn everything. I was understanding more about the ways God moved. I chose to completely surrender to God. Um, however, God had a lot to work, of work to do in my life and in me because of my brokenness. God helped me change my life. Um, he showed me that every time the Israelites turned away from him, uh, bad things would happen. When they turned to God, obeyed his commands, and got idols, they were extremely blessed, and I wanted to be blessed. <laughs> um, so um, I felt convicted of idols in my life. The first was being a millionaire through saving. Um, I wanted to be a millionaire because I thought I would not have to worry about money so much. Then I could do the things I really liked. I was working so hard and didn't have time for families and friends. Work was a priority over people for me. I knew this was an issue in my life, but was helpless to resolve it. Um, so I gave up the goal and I felt a huge relief and now I could focus on loving people, as God said. Now. Um, I don't follow the Bible blindly, it might seem like that, but um, my rationale for following God's commands is this. Um, God is perfect and he's a genius. He created the universe and everything in it, including humans. The amount of genius to do that is incomprehensible to any human. So every time I run into something God says and I disagree with, I try it his way and he's always white or he lets me do it my way. And of course, when I fail and ask him for help, he shows me his way, and it always turns better than I expected. So uh, from all these lessons, I learned to really listen to what he says. There's, I feel like there's no point for me to argue with God, who's always right, even though I still do it at times. <laughs> we are always growing and not perfect. Um, I learned to hear God's voice at the beginning because of the Holy Spirit. Um, it starts as clear impressions and simple sentences. Once 
when the pastor was asking for a special offering and said we could ask God for something, and he would answer. There was a whole sermon on um, offerings, but that was the gist of what I got. <laughs> Um, I felt strongly that I needed to participate, like my heart was pounding like crazy. I argued with God that um, I have a large student loan in the sum of $23,000 to pay off, and I was already tithing, and I thought that was enough. But um, I also wanted, um, I thought that if I can get one overtime shift a month, that would be great. Um, so I just obeyed and gave the extra offering. So next month, I got an ex overtime shift. This was actually a miracle because we were overstaffed. And um, getting overtime is very competitive and rare. Um, I kept, kept giving an overtime shift every month for a whole year, exactly as I prayed. After that, there was no overtime shift. The extra money helped me pay off a huge chunk of my loan, and um, that with the tax return, I was able to pay off my loan completely within a year and a half. So um, one time I was camping with my sisters, and I went to get water from the river. I accidentally slipped into the Russian River. So um, I'm not a strong swimmer, so obviously I just kind of did this and fought and was terrified, right? So as I was fighting, I thought about how horrible my sisters would feel if I just disappeared like that. So I decided like there's no way, if possible, I would let it happen. So when I decided that, a voice in my head told me to just relax. So I just went like that. So um, as I relaxed, I was able to float up to the top and um, where the river was actually calm, and I managed to swim to shore and was fine. And the miracle was the timing was perfect because if I had been a few seconds late, I could have easily missed the calm spot and continued down the river, fate unknown. So um, because I know God talks to me in different ways, I am always on the lookout for what he says. I always look for confirmation or test what I was hearing by saying, if God told me to do this, then it would work out. Or if not, then it won't work out. Or I check with my heart to feel if I have peace with it or not. Um, God started talking to me about how I needed to pursue healing in my heart. I didn't understand what any of this means because I've never heard of that before. But I did feel um, pain in my heart. I just didn't understand what it was from. So I kept following his lead and discovered my passion for psychology, healing ministry, and counseling. It provided and still provides so many answers I had struggled with and helped me overcome many things. I also got lots of healing from past hurts. And it also helped me understand why my pa I was always struggling so much in my past. Like, it wasn't because of me, but my situation. God started teaching me about loving myself and how I was, I was a sabot sabotaging myself by going against who I was. I had no idea I was against myself. I thought the negative thoughts in my head were just normal, and that was just who I was, and it was the truth because it was always with me. 
Um, he also told me that it was very hard for me to love others if I didn't love myself. I was having a hard time loving others, so if loving myself made it easier to love others, then sign me up. <laughs> I started applying what God showed me. I was gaining more freedom, joy, healing, and confidence. I came to understand more things about loving others, and um, yeah, it helped me heal from issues in my relationships as well and um, rebuild some of my relationships. It's still a process, but so much easier than before. Now I'm in the journey of discovering who God made me to be. I was never interested in prayer because it seemed religious and something an experienced Christian does. Sorry. Uh, and yeah, I didn't feel like I was Christian enough because I came to Christ late. It was something I never thought was for me, but when I heard that the Healing Evangeline Ministry offered to help me grow closer to God, I decided to join because um, that was my main goal in life. So there I learned to pray for physical healing. I also learned to hear from God for other people through prophetic prayer. It was so scary at first, but became really fun when I got used to it. As I learned to pray for physical healing, I started seeing people get healed of back pain and actually seeing people's flat feet grow arches and even um, uneven short legs and short arms grow out like, grow out. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. <laughs> oh. So um, with prophetic prayer, um, I practiced and grew in hearing God, um, hearing what God was telling me for other people. Um, it was amazing because I got to experience firsthand how God truly loves us as we are. I got to see people's hearts softened as the words of love I felt God was telling me for them bypass their brains and go straight to their heart. It was a God encounter for both of us, experienced in different ways. I was so grateful to be used by God in this way and bless so many people. When I joined the ministry team here at Five Stones, I learned to pray for all kinds of prayer requests. Joining the intercessory prayer nights helped me to pray out loud through the Holy Spirit. These were all new for me. Through these experiences God led me to, I was able to grow and love prayer. I did not understand this at the beginning. I was just following the little things God was telling me to do and having fun. It wasn't until recently that God showed me the bigger picture of how he was shaping my prayer walk and ministry. Since being a Christ follower, everyone in my immediate family has become Christian except my dad. Um, we prayed for my parents' marriage to work out and for him to be Christian. Instead, he divorced my mom and disowned our family. But God blessed my mom with the new kind husband, Mark, who thinks she's the most beautiful woman. We still pray for my dad. My family has learned to love each other and in more healthy ways. It's a constant struggle, but we're succeeding a bit at a time. We didn't used to celebrate special days of the year as a family, but it was just something that I always wanted because everyone else seemed to do that too. But and now we celebrate together as a family. So um, I'm still trying to figure out how to do this faith walk, building a stronger relationship with God. 
Unfortunately, I get things wrong and um, as I'm learning to hear God's voice, but I can't stop trying. He will let me know and correct me, and failing is also part of the journey. His voice has changed my life and made it sometimes complicated, but always amazing. He leads me to some things I never thought was for me, but once I do it and get used to it, I realize how amazing God is to let me experience those amazing things and grow in this way. It's always an adventure with God because I am constantly surprised at the victories, the lessons, and experiences God leads me to. God truly loves us for who we are and wants the best for us. He wants to bless us and not harm us. He means to redo, redo the mess in our lives that was a result of a broken relationship with him and make it beautiful. He means for us to experience heaven on earth. I experienced this over and over in so many areas of my life. So thank you for listening. Kim's story is so relatable in so many ways. That it's, it, it just speaks of her relationship with God as a, journey, as a journey, how she grows in her faith, how, she, how God rebuilds just different things in her life, how God brings restoration to things that were broken and how God takes things and redeems it for him, for Kim to get to experience him more. This is just how God works. This is who God is. That even though God is righteous and just, that he is merciful and kind. That no matter how far you are from him, that even... If you are a hundred steps, a thousand steps, 10,000 steps, a million steps away, that God will take the first 99, the first 999, the first 900, 9,999, the first 999,999 steps to come to us. And all we need to do is respond. In Nehemiah's story, it shows us that God wants to rebuild. He always wants to reconcile. God is always seeking us out. He always wants to heal, and he always wants to restore. But we need to take that one step. We need to take that one step to seek him out. Today I want to draw from chapter 9 today. In chapter 9, for some of you, I know that as you guys read Nehemiah, you probably skimmed through chapter 9 pretty quickly because it's a very long prayer. It's actually one of the longest prayers in the Bible. It takes up the whole chapter. I want to draw from this because this is a prayer of repentance and confession from Israel. You see, the Nehemiah story is about rebuilding. So Jerusalem is in shambles, and Nehemiah has come and rebuilt the walls. And we've talked about throughout this whole summer how miraculous this rebuilding is. That God has said, you know what, I could leave you, and you could deal with your consequences. You are no longer with me. I'm going to send you into exile. You are now in now ruled over by other countries, other empires have come and taken over you and you have completely lost your identity. And God comes and he's like, he asked this man, Nehemiah, help me rebuild. 
Help me rebuild this city. Help me rebuild this nation. And we're at this place where the walls are now rebuilt. The temple is restored. And the people come back into the city, but they don't know who they are. They have absolutely no clue who they are. They've completely lost their identity. And that is similar to our walk with God because in some ways when God created you, you've lost your identity because you've lost your relationship with him. We're constantly in a place where we're searching for who we are. Kim said, I was searching for happiness and I did not know where to find it. The only place that you're going to ever find your identity is in God. Why? Because he created you specifically. And he put in every single character that, characteristic that you have in you specifically. That you're not a mistake, that you're not an accident, that you are created and intended by God and brought you into this world for a specific reason. And you will only find your true identity through him. Happiness only comes from God. What we all look for happiness is not just that Disneyland experience of Orlando. The happiest place in the world. Those are temporary happiness. Happiness comes from knowing who we are. Happiness know, comes from knowing why we are created. And so Israel's in this place where they're just like, okay, we have this land, we have our people back, we have all of these things, but who are we? Who am I? What are we supposed to do? What are, we, we've been in exile for 140 years. In 140 years, you lose a lot of things. Generations have gone by already, and you have absolutely no idea what your own cultural identity is anymore. And so right in chapter 8, it talks about the Festival of Booths. And in chapter 9, they get to this place. On the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. They get to this place of repentance and confession. Now, we oftentimes think of confession as just going to the pastor, going to the confessional booth and talking about our sins and after that's all done and in our prayer time we, we, we bring out our sins and say, God, okay, forgive me of my sins. That's not just, that's not confession. That's a part of confession, but that's not all of confession. Confession is actually acknowledging who God is. Confession is coming to God and saying, God, I need you. I need to worship you. I'm worshiping you. I'm coming to you and asking you for help. That's what confession is. And in that process, you ask for God to forgive you of your sins. Yes, that is a part of confession, but it isn't all of confession. And so what the Israelites are coming is that they are coming to repent. Why? So that they take a position of humility. Confession brings us to our knees to see our sins, to see that we need something greater, to see that some, something greater needs to come to intersect with our lives. That's what confession is about. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is turning towards God and saying, God, I need you. And so the Israelites come and they said, okay, let's, 
we need to seek God out because to, in order for us to continue to be this nation that God has promised us to be, we need to seek Him out to understand where He has established us. And if you read through the prayer of chapter 9, it is a history lesson on the nation of Israel. That's what it is. It starts from Abraham and it talks all the way through the entire history of Israel and how God's faithfulness is there for them. And that's the message that I want to bring out today is that, that God's faithfulness will always be there for you. First step is that you need to seek out God. You don't need to understand what that means, but you need to just come to this place and say, God, I don't know what to do. I just know that you are greater, you are smarter, you are more genius, exactly what Kim said, that you are more genius and you know more than I do. And in that place, I am coming to you for some answers. That's it. First step, just come and seek after God and say, God, I just need you. I don't know what that means. or under, I don't understand what that means. But I'm willing to come to you. And that's what the Israelites are doing. They're humbling themselves. They put on the sackcloth. They're just like, okay, we're going to do this. The Levites all came. They came to help and help understand and bring understanding. And the priests were there to help. So we get into the, the verse and we see how Israel prays. One of the things that they get into is they understand as they read through the history, as the priests come and help them with the history, that salvation continues to come. Some of us are here today because we are struggling. We're distressed. We're distressed maybe because of our family. We're distressed maybe because of our marriage. We're distressed maybe because of our children, because of our friendships, because of our soul. Maybe it's even because of church. You're distressed. And you're seeking out some kind of salvation, some kind of relief, seeking out some kind of just lift and encouragement from God. You see, the only person that could save you from your distress is God. There's nothing else that could take you out of it. The only person in this world that could take you out of your misery or help you solve your biggest problems is God. We could go to therapy. I know for millennials, this is a really big thing right now. Everybody has their own therapist. Some of us have two or three for different issues. Therapy is it's like having a new watch. Oh, you got to check out this therapist. So-and-so, great, helps me talk about my feelings. It's a phenomenon for me. It's, it's awesome. I think it's great. I think it's good that we're processing our emotions. But the thing is, therapy is not going to help you. At the end of the day, therapy will help you dissect and think about your problems, but therapy is not going to give you salvation. Only God can. Only God can give you the relief that you need because he establishes identity. That's the big thing that you need is that you need identity. And the only person that could fulfill that is the one that created you. Nobody else can. So salvation only comes from God. So here's the thing. 
if we believe that God is great, that he is powerful, that he is our creator and he's our sustainer of all things and is able to, and willing to rescue us from ourselves and from our sins and from his judgment, then we need to remind ourselves of the things that God has always responded with and that's salvation in mind. God always responds with mercy and God always responds with deliverance. Here's how he responds starting from verse 16. I'm going to point out six pairs here. First is Israel's rebellion. Second is God's response. Starting in verse 16, it says, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your command. 17b, God's response is, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Second rebellion, they had made themselves golden calves and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and, com and committed great blasphemy. And God responded in that, yet you in your great mercies, verse 19, did not forsake them in the wilderness, but sustained them all the way into the promised land and gave them in, into a land of abundance. That's 19 to 25. Third rebellion, that, they, that Israel was disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your laws behind their back and killed your prophets, and they committed, continued to commit great blasphemies. God's response, verse 27, Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemy who made them suffer, and in the time of their suffering they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. In other words, God, according to his righteousness, judgment came, but it was not the last word. They cried out. They deserved judgment, but God had mercy. Fourth rebellion, but after... Verse 28, after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And God's response was, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemy so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to their mercies. Again, God's response is God's righteousness has judgment to it. But again, it is not the last thing. That when the Israelites cry out, God continues to have mercy. Verse 29, fifth rebellion. They acted presumptuously and did not obey your command, but sinned against your rule. God's response, many years you bore with them and warned them about your spirit through your prophets. Sixth rebellion, yet they would not give ear. Verse 30. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful. God's judgment throughout this prayer is mentioned time and time again, but it was never the last word. That God's mercy always came. You see, this is how God works. That first, he is righteous and he is just. And there are consequences, and we have to live with the consequences of sin. However, even in that, there is always hope. There is always hope, and there is always more mercy, so that we're able to trust him more. You see, when this story happened, God's story with us was incomplete. Jesus hasn't come yet. 
They were in a place where they were still figuring out how to have that, this relationship with God. There were things that still needed to be done. The covenant wasn't complete. And yet, even in that incompleteness, that God's mercy still poured in. Our lives is about in a place where, yes, we fall and we try to do things our own way and we try to find happiness our own way and we always fail and we always get to this place where we come back to, oh, I messed up. And so then we cry out for God's mercy and God's mercy, what always comes. It always comes. It doesn't matter what you have done, God's mercy always comes. And that's the message here in the whole Nehemiah series is that God always comes to rebuild with you in your life. That God's heart is to rebuild. That God's heart is to restore. That God's heart is to give hope. and That God's heart is to extend mercy. That's his heart. That's how much he loves us. And so what did God ultimately do? He rebuilt, and his biggest achievement in rebuilding is sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on the cross for us as the ultimate atonement that he, at, the, at his death on the cross, conquered sin. And therefore God's righteousness no longer needed to be against us, but it was for us. It becomes God's righteousness over you because Jesus died on the cross for you. That is the ultimate rebuilding of God's complete story. That Jesus has come to save, that Jesus has come to deliver us from our sins. This is just how God works. When Jesus shed his blood, he gave us new life. In, e- in Ze- Ezekiel 36, 26, he prophesies, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my status. Ephesians 1:13 says, And by the blood brought spirit, he will seal us for the day of redemption and he will complete what he has begun and perfect us on the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6. God does not exist for the sake of us to enjoy Bible stories. The Bible stories, the biblical stories exist so that we could enjoy God. Nehemiah contains a model that prophesies and illustrates a very pragmatic governance, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The story of Nehemiah brings the supernatural realities of God's presence and our problems into perspective so that we may draw on his aid in the practical arenas of making life work. God's very, very practical. He's not just in a place where we feel like he's this ethereal being and we're just trying to get to him. That's not God. God's very practical. He's relational. 
He wants to have this relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to teach you. He wants to guide you. He wants to rescue you. I love how Kim tells of this story of how God just speaks even in times where she's not really looking for God. In the river, you think she was really looking for God? No, she was just looking for salvation in any way, in any form, in any method. It could have been a stick that was sticking out and she would have grabbed for it. But God spoke, said, relax. That was it. And in that one word, God saved. You see, time and time again, God continuously and constantly speaks to us. Part of it is we need to learn how to hear from God. We need to learn how to listen to God's voice and how to discern what is from God, what is not from God, what is from our mind. Sometimes our mind clouds God's voice. But the more you talk to him, the more you're going to recognize him. The more you spend time with him, the more you're going to know who he is. You see, when you know someone's character and you know someone's being, it's easy to recognize their voice. How do we know God? By spending time in his word. Why? Because this word is about his character. This is about who he is. You want to know him? Read this. Every single story in here points to him. Every single word in here points to his character, his heart, his will, his desires, how he wants to live with you, his mercies, his grace. Every single thing in here points about his greatness. Spend time with him. Pray. Listen to his voice. This is such a practical thing for us. Sometimes we, we are like, well, I don't know how to hear. I love how today when Richard came and did communion, he said, God, when Jesus died, that we're no longer slaves, but we are friends. And that's exactly the type of relationship God wants with us. A lot of us sitting here actually are in that place where we think we're still slaves. That in our relationship with God and how we actually relate to God, we see ourselves as slaves because we see that God is the master and he tells us what to do. But that's not how God wants to do things. We're no longer slaves. We're friends of God because Jesus died on the cross for us. He built that relationship. God doesn't want to be master to you. He wants to be friend. Mm -hmm. He wants to be father. He wants to care for you. And for those of you that are sitting here and have been in church for a long time and are thinking, well, my relationship with God is a struggle because I constantly am in this place where I cannot, I I just can't be obedient to everything and I keep on falling. Here's your answer. You're not slave, you're friend. It's about a relationship and the failures and falling that you go through, there is redemption in all of that. That there is no penalty in all of that. And that the consequence is, the consequence, yes, we still need to deal with. I don't want to tell you guys that there's no more consequence. There is. Sometimes some of the actions that we do, we have to face those consequences. 
but there's grace and mercy that comes along with that, and that gives us joy and hope to continue living with him. That gives us the maturity to grow in him. That's what we mean when we're maturing in our faith. It's growing. Some of us here today, I know we're distressed. It may not be like a huge distress, but all of us experience some kind of just aspect where we're unsettled. It could be our job or friends or your boss. It could be church. Some of us are distressed by church because the church that we live in today, sometimes I feel like we are so far from the church that God has intended the church to be because we get so stuck in our religious ways and we get so stuck in our judgmental ways. I'm tired of seeing church splits. I'm tired of seeing church argue. I'm tired of seeing, seeing all these things that are happening today. Like Rich and I were sitting down on Friday and we're just talking about just the, the amount of leaders in the church that are falling. And that as a church, we're not helping these leaders. We're not actually picking them back up. We're actually just projecting our judgments onto them and just calling them to a place of repentance, but we don't actually come and come alongside them and say, hey, brother, how could I help you come back to who God is? I'm tired of it. Sometimes the church is the most judgmental place and not a place of grace and mercy. It's not a place where we get to experience God. It's not a place where we feel safe to come to. Because sometimes we think that church, when we come to church, we need to be perfect, and that's not the case. That this is a place for sinners. Sinners to be sanctified into saints. But first, we need to realize it's for sinners. And so if you see someone that is fallen and someone that is, that, that's down, don't kick them. Help them. Walk alongside them. Your job isn't to be judge. Your job isn't to be jury. That's his job. Only one person could judge you, and that's God. If you're the person that is being that religious person, I want you to come to that place of confession and asking God, how do I, how do I extend your grace more? How do I extend your love more? How do I walk alongside my brothers and sisters that have fallen? I want you guys to know, I don't want you guys, actually, there's, there's a big, big asterisk that I want to put around all of this. And that big asterisk is that in order for you to be able to extend this love of God is you need to know who God is, okay? Because there's too many churches out there that have completely made too many allowances as well. And that's not right either. Because the truth is the word cannot change. And it will not change. And it will not bend. But this word is full of God's love. And that is more than enough for anybody. More than enough. So as you go and extend and help your brothers and sisters, know this. This book is about God. Extend God 
to them. Not yourself, not your thoughts, not your heart, but God's heart. Okay? Can we do that as a church? Our new theme for next year, for this starting next week, is church on the move. That's how I want this church to move. That's how I want this church to be. In order for this church to move, it needs to know who God is so that we can extend that to the world. That's what we're moving. God's church, his word, his love, his mercy, his grace. That's what it's about. I'm so excited for this new theme because I'm excited to see how you guys are going to be called by God to move into the city, to move into the nations, to prove something new, to show God's heart, to reestablish identities. Oh, that makes me excited. I get a little worked up when I start talking about that stuff. (laughs) I'm sorry. God wants you to know that his mercy is always there for you. That as we journey in life with him, as we walk our faith out with him, even if we actually don't understand our faith at this time, some of us actually need to reconstruct some of the things that we know. Some of us, we may be like, oh, we've been Christians for 30 years. Great. But what is God calling you to do today? Sometimes we need to reconstruct those thoughts so that we know God's heart more. We always need to come to that place of confession, of repentance, and come before God and say, God, what else do I need to know? What else do I need to learn? How do I continue to be your church, continue to live out what your bride is called to do? The Nehemiah story, as we've heard throughout the entire summer, is about rebuilding, and God wants to rebuild you, every single one of you here. The Nehemiah story is about God constantly coming after you to rebuild you. And that's what's so beautiful about the Nehemiah story. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. That you are good and you are gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Father God, we just pray that as we come before you, Lord, that you grant us your mercy. Give us your heart. Give us your will. Give us your vision on how to live. And Lord, may you establish the identity that you have created in us to live fully with you. Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. So, Father God, we just come before you and we just we are excited to live this life with you, excited to be with you, excited for you to come and reveal more of who you are to us. So, Lord, as we go this week, Lord, may you speak to us through your spirit. Give us your heart. Give us your ways. Give us your mind. And give us your vision. So Lord, we thank you and pray, us, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.